Good morning, church. It's great to see all of your faces here this morning. I hope you had a great holiday week. I feel like there's two holiday weekends, right? Because it's the middle of the week. So I hope you took advantage of both of them and had a great time celebrating the 4th this week. I'm glad you guys are here. My name is Spencer. As Pastor Patrick said, I lead our student ministry here. I'm excited for the opportunity to be here this morning, wrapping up our series, Reflection. I think uh, today's going to be an interesting morning for a lot of us. But before we get into that... um, The 4th of July, when I grew up, was not really a big deal, but ever since I got married, it has become a very big deal. My wife's family of about 40 lives in Colorado for the most part, and so they create a family reunion. Every year, 4th of July is a big family reunion. So when I got married, I had to have a cheat sheet of who was who and what family belonged to who because I couldn't keep any of their names straight. As you might imagine, trying to meet 40 people at once was a little overwhelming, Um, But they have a a bunch of fun food and traditions on the 4th, and so that's become part of my tradition. And one of my favorite traditions that they do that I've adopted is that once it gets dark outside, like 9, 30, 10 o'clock, some uncles and cousins will go out with two buckets of water balloons and a slingshot and find some way to separate the men from the boys, okay? So that's where I spent my week. Um, there was a near miss on my face, but I was fine, and it was great. So the reason I bring that up is to say that I missed all the fun and all the stuff that goes on around the 4th of July this year. It wasn't until almost the end of the night during the fireworks show that I even gave much thought or attention to the fact that this holiday exists to represent and celebrate the founding of the United States of America, which seems obvious. But it didn't even cross my mind. Like, it wasn't a part of me. I was worried about, okay, photos and who's eating what and make sure I get the best piece of Jell-O, all that stuff. Uh, But I remember as we're watching the fireworks, these go off to to represent the artillery shells going off during the War of Independence, right? And to remember what it took for this freedom uh, that we enjoy to come about. Well, every year we mark off Independence Day to celebrate that, right? But it's amazing how the focus and the highlight of the day that exists out of the entire year just to celebrate America was kind of on the back burner for me all day long. And I think, um, you know, I think that's just part of human nature, to be honest, is that the things that are right in front of us so often are the things we most easily forget. We most easily overlook the things that we're used to seeing over and over and over again. And I don't know about you, but I'm around myself quite a bit. And I'm a believer that a lot of the issues that we face as families, as people, in our culture, are because I think we have forgotten deep down what it really means to be a human being. And this morning, as we wrap up the series reflection with this message about what it means to bear God's image, what it means to be human, My prayer that we walk out of here with a fuller understanding of not only who we are, but who he is, because the two are so related. So if you guys would pray with me, just ask God to bless this time and give him our full attention and our full um, worship in this moment. So would you pray with me? Father, thank you for an opportunity to gather, to hear your word. I pray, God, that you'd cover this time, cover this message, Lord, with truth, with power, Lord, and with your spirit, Lord. We just spent who knows how many minutes, inviting your presence in. And Lord, I just pray that you'd continue to, to be pleased to dwell here with us today in our spirits, in our congregation, in our, in our minds, and in our hearts, Lord, that we would be transformed by your word this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Genesis 1-1 is a verse most of you probably know, but we're going to put it on the screen anyways, and it says this. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. 
If you'd never read the Bible before, and this is the first thing you read, the first thing that you would know, the first thing we find out about God is that God's creative. Part of what makes God who he is is that he exists independently of creation, right? He's not bound by anything. He's not limited by anything. He answers to no one. We call that sovereign, right? He's independent, purely independent, and yet not out of need, but out of desire, God chose to create. He possesses this incredible ability to imagine things that don't yet exist and then speak them into existence. The Hebrew language captures this especially well. Um, There's a word used here and in a few other places in Scripture um, that pertains uniquely to this creative ability. The word is bara. Everyone say it with me. Bara. No one said it with me. That's cool. (laughs) Thanks, guys. A little out of the limb here. Um, (laughs) Anyways, in the Bible, no one is ever the subject of that verb except God. Okay? Now, if autocorrect has ruined your ability to understand the English language well anymore, the subject of a verb is the person who does the verb, okay? So in the Bible, only God can bara. Only God can speak things into existence. No one else has that ability, okay? We translate that word in English in, as, as create, but it really, like, if you dig into it, it really means to speak into existence, to bring something forth that does not yet Exist. And we see this affirmed in Hebrews 11, verse 3. It says this, By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen, which is everything that we know, was not made out of things that are visible. In other words, the world that we know today was created out of things that are invisible. The word of God spoke, and the world as we know it came into existence. This is a fascinating and incredible ability that our God has God is first and foremost a creator, and he possesses this incredible ability to imagine things that don't yet exist. I once wrote a blog post about how amazing the platypus is, the duck-billed platypus. Like, I think, like, God is logical and ordered, but I think he just wanted to just throw a wrench in things and be like, here's an animal with a bill, fur, and it lays eggs. Figure that one out. (laughs) Like, who could think of that, right? I mean, it doesn't seem real. But God's creative, right? God has an incredible imagination. And so all through the beginning of Genesis, we see God doing this process, business of creating things. He creates the heavens and the earth, right? He creates light and darkness, the solar system, the atmosphere, oceans and continents, every living thing there is. And after each day of creating, he stands back and he looks at what he's made and he says, it is good. Over and over again in Genesis, God says, it is good good. God saw that it was good. God creates things that are good because you and I and God create out of the essence of who we are, and God is good. It's not a statement necessarily about his ability or how well he made things. Obviously, he made them perfect because he's God, but he made things that are good in essence because he is good. In essence, that's his identity. That's not something that he does. That's something that he is. And that's who he creates out of. So he creates a good world out of the essence of his goodness. But the process is not done. God doesn't stop with good, and many of you know that, right? God still has one final masterpiece to put together, and that's where you and I enter the story. So let's check out Genesis 1, 26 and following says this. It says, Then God said, after he's made all of the world, Let us make man in our image after our likeness. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. 
And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. Notice how when God finishes making humanity, he doesn't just say it was good, right? He says it was very good. Tov me'od in Hebrew, very good. Now, I don't understand, and maybe you don't understand, why would I or you or, or us as humanity elevate God's creative ability from good to very good? Because I know myself pretty well. I'm not sure I'm worthy of that title, And the reason is this, it's not because of anything that we did or could do, but it's because who we are. Because our identity, first and foremost, as human beings, is that we bear his image. We are image bearers of God. That is who human beings are, image bearers of God. Out of all the things created by God, not a single one of them is said to be made directly in his image except for us. I don't know if you've given that much thought before. Romans 1 tells us that God's invisible and divine attributes are made visible by the world that we see around us, right? So that is to say God's character is found in the created world. Okay, the playfulness of the otter, the fierceness of the lion, the beauty of the sunrise and sunset. I mean, God's character is on display, but nothing reflects who he is like human beings. It's not just that we're better, right? It's not a degree a difference of degree, it's a difference of kind. We are a completely different and unique creation in this world made to represent who God is. You and I are unique. We are image bearers. And scholars have wrestled over and over and over again. What does that mean, right? Scholars love wrestling about things anyways, but it's a valid question. What does it mean to be an image bearer? What does that actually mean? What is the essence of that? And this morning, I think, an absolutely essential piece and perhaps the most essential piece of what it means to be made in God's image is this. Human beings are creative. Human beings are creative. If you're taking notes this morning, you might know that there's nothing there but blank space. I wanted to give you the freedom to be creative in how you take notes. So if you're doing that, have fun. You're welcome. But human beings, and you know this, right, have the ability to imagine to see things that don't yet exist, to dream and to create and to wonder and to worship, right? Many animals have personalities, which is why we enjoy living with some of them, okay? I'll leave out the cat jokes right there, but no other creature on earth makes art that's exclusively for looking at and enjoying. No other creature on earth builds devices that allow them to see into the mysteries of the world around us. No other creature on earth will devote their lifetime to understanding other plants and animals. This seems obvious, but I think it's one of those things right in front of our face. Human beings are unique. You and I are uniquely made to be God's image bearers, and God is creative. Now, I don't think many of us would push back on the idea that we are created, right? But this morning, I want to take that idea one step further and say this. We're not just created beings. We were created to create. We're not just created to exist. We were created to create. Part of our divine mandate on this planet is to reflect, hence the series we're in, the creative nature of God himself. Pastor and author Erwin McManus, he wrote this. He said, beavers build dams, bees build hives, and ants build colonies, but humans are creatures not of simple instinct, but of divine imagination. Every species builds, but only humans create. Now, I know what a lot of you are probably thinking right now, and it's this. I'm, I'm not creative. If 
you're anything like me, right? I'm not an artist. I don't have any special talents. I'm not very good at anything. I'm not one of those. I'm not an artist. I'm not a creative. I'm not in the elite, right? Maybe thinking that I'm not creative, Spencer. That doesn't apply to me. That's not a fair thing to say. I want you to know if that's you, which is probably a lot of us in this room based on the last service. Um, I understand you. But I also want you to know that you're wrong. So we got that. I believe that about myself for most of my life, right? I've always been better with words than with art. And so my parents, out of, out of love, tried to tell me and told me for years and years growing up, Spencer, it's okay. Art just isn't your thing, okay? That's how they tried to make me feel better about myself. Art just isn't your thing, right? And for multiple decades of my life, I just believed that. Like I just said, hey, I, I'm not creative. I'm not artistic. And that's fine. That's just who I am. It's not my thing. And if art is limited to what you can draw or paint, then that's absolutely true, okay? The worst grade I got in college was art class. The worst grade I got in college was art class. And it's partly because she was not very nice and she graded on quality, which I don't think was fair. But um, I mean, the sum of the stuff I turned in looked like, it, like a third grade kid who hadn't realized he was left-handed yet tried to paint with his right hand. That's what my work looks like after four hours of labor, okay? So it was sort of deserved. But, you know, execution, not so good. Ideas, great ideas. But, um, like, if that was what it meant to be creative, I would, not, I would not qualify, okay? And I don't think many of us would. But there are two reasons why that belief is not accurate, okay? The first is this. Your identity and my identity is not rooted in your abilities, if you're taking notes this morning. It's rooted in your creator, the one whose image you bear defines your identity, and God is the master creator. Your primary identity is someone who bears his image. It's not rooted in what you can do. It's rooted in who you represent. Some of you probably just need to hear that this morning, right? You are not an accident. You are unique, and you represent the most high God in an incredibly unique and creative way. Now, you may not be walking in the fullness of that identity, which is another unique characteristic of being human, but that does not remove your status as an image bearer of God. Second, being creative does not just mean being good or having talent in the things that this culture calls art, okay? Going back to Genesis, something that's hidden in plain sight that took me a long time to realize is that God, God creates with a purpose, and it's always the same. God wants to bring life. All through Genesis, every day of creation, God is creating space for, he, for life to flourish. Every single day, we see an increasing number of comp complex organisms, ecosystems, space for life to exist and to thrive. That is what God is about. And so that's really the essence of creating, being creative as God exists. It's not means that you can draw well. It means that you can bring life into the world in which you live. And as I say that, hopefully those of you who are parents or maybe grandparents kind of hopefully nodding a little bit, right? Because that phrase in this culture, bringing life into the world, usually means having a kid, okay? And if you have participated in bringing a human life to bear, congratulations, you are creative, okay? You did it. And creating life, like that's the most profound way that we create life on earth is that we literally create a human being. That's an incredible gift that God gives us the ability to do. But that's part of the reason we get so inspired and excited about, about childbirth, about pregnancy, because there's something profound about the ability to create life. 
But that's also why we're so inspired when we see some, an incredible piece of art or a powerful piece of music that draws something out of us we didn't see before or incredible architecture or design that takes our breath away or genius business models or even, if, even accounting practices. Some of you in here love numbers and that's great for you, but you can marvel at accounting practices that are done in an incredibly wise and efficient manner. All of these things are expressions of humanity's ability to be creative. And all of these things reflect the ability of God to create, that we bear that image. And so I love how this is expressed in the life of someone who actually calls Denver home. So I want us to check out this video real quick. There's actually a story of two of the greatest master penmen to live. Well, the two were sitting down across the table from one another, and F.B. Courtney wrote a word on a, on a piece of paper and threw it across the table, and he said, accomplish that if you can. And so Madaraz turned the paper over, wrote another word, threw it across the table, and he says, accomplish that in a lifetime if you can. And so it was, it was this life pursuit that they were after. It was honing the hand, learning the disciplines of whole arm movement and muscular movement to reach one pinnacle moment that was forever captured in a single letter. So I will fill a page with the same letter over and over and over, just so that when it comes time for me to execute that letter in an actual piece, I'm able to do so without thought that it's already imprinted into who I am, into my makeup and into my muscle memory, that I can execute it when the time comes. The pen is attractive to me because of what happens just at the tip of a pen. You get one shot, and, and what, what happens there uh, is permanent. And so you're putting in the, all of the motion that your body already naturally does down on paper. You're recording the ergonomics of the human body. In my calligraphy artwork, I am trying to preserve the past and forge the future. What I am taking from these old artists are, are these things that they have found true and beautiful, and so I am essentially curating them into another art piece. If we abdicate everything to to the machines that we create, then what we are doing is we're creating a sterile world that is void of uh, human influence. And so if we do that, out of, especially with something that is as deeply personal as handwriting is, then I feel that we're missing out a lot on each other. We're missing out on that, that connection that we have with, with one another. As one stroke builds off of another, so one man's heritage builds off of another's. Because what was once beautiful in the past and is still beautiful today holds the promise that it will be beautiful in the future. 
I believe that we are all created in the image of God and that we we don't only bear his image in the way that we think, the way that we act, the emotions that we have, but in our desire to create. I believe that the things that, that God impresses upon us and the things that we find um, we are passionate about, He was first passionate about. So I see this passion in me to create is the most intimate way that I know God. Powerful. You and I have a higher calling than just existing. We were called to create. We were created to create. When God made us, when he imagined us into existence, right, he was looking for co-creators. God wanted someone to partner with him in stewarding this world that he created, right? He created the world that we're in with so much potential. And he didn't want it, like, God didn't create because he was lonely, okay? God does not need us. God desired us. And he created this world with so much potential to be untapped and unlocked. And that's a privilege that we as human beings get, is to be able to be the ones who discover, who untap the riches and the mystery of the world that we find ourselves in because we are created in his image as his unique image bearers. And we have a unique role in this world. You are creative. Every single one of you in this room is creative. You may not all be able to do that, okay? I wish I could do that, honestly. But all of us have the ability to create. Whether it's art, whether it's business, whether it's numbers, whether it's speaking, it doesn't, I don't know what it is for you. You are creative, and not just because of your abilities, but because of the one that you represent. Because God is first and foremost a creator, and you represent him. And if you're having a hard time this morning believing those words are true for you, I suggest you write them down as many times as it takes for that to sink in. Because your identity is not rooted in what you can or can't do. Your identity is rooted in who you represent, and you represent the creator God. Now, what does this have to do with Jesus? really glad you asked that question. God has done something amazing through Jesus. Because every single one of us in here and everyone that we're descended from was born with a heart disease called sin. And as, God's good, as good as God's creation was when he finished, right, he stood back and said, this is very good, right? We used our creative ability as human beings to not choose life, but instead we chose death. We chose to disobey our maker, to step outside the lines, outside the boundaries of life that he laid down for us because we thought we knew better. And ever since that moment, death has been creeping in where life was supposed to flourish. In our hearts, in our world, in our culture, the entire world has been subjected to futility and death, as we read in Romans 7. But... Because of the death and resurrection of Jesus, because Jesus came to step in our place, not only take our punishment, but to break the power of sin, the power of death that this world was captive to, there's a new thing being done in us 
and through us. This world is changing. Jesus came and he talked about the kingdom of heaven being at hand. He said over and over again, the kingdom of heaven has come upon you. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. What does that mean? The kingdom of heaven, as we talk about, we'll be talking about in this next series partly, is, is the world as it was meant to be restored. Because I think all of us know that the world we live in right now is not the way it was meant to be. And that does not take a lot of argument. The world as we live in now is not the way it was meant to be. But God is not watching from a distance, but God is engaged in redeeming the world that we, the world that we inhabit and the lives that we live and the relationships that we have. God is in the business of restoring what was stolen. And the kingdom may have not come in its fullness yet. And we're waiting for that day, and it could be any time. But Jesus has promised us that right now, through the inbreaking of his spirit by the power of his death, there's a new humanity being redeemed and restored right now with the ability to create a new world, the redeemed world, the world that was meant to be, to bring a new kind of kingdom into the one that we find ourselves placed in. Kingdom where God's life triumphs. A kingdom where God's creativity flourishes, where life flourishes. That is the kind of life that we are called to. But before God does a work through us, he has to first do a work in us. And this is what he promises us. Ezekiel 36 says this. He says, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. Now, why does God have to do that? Because our old heart and our old spirit, the one that we're born with, are fractured and broken and corrupt. And that's just the nature of broken humanity. But that's not the humanity that was originally made. Human Everything God made was good because he's good and it's been turned and bent by sin, but God is in the process of redeeming that. So God says, I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh and I will put my spirit within you. On the other side of the cross, Paul says this in 2 Corinthians chapter five, he says this, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he or she is a new creation. The spirit of God is coming to bring life where death is was reigning. I want to look at a couple passages right now. In the Old Testament, when God's Spirit came upon a person, and I want us to pay attention what happens when God's Spirit clothes somebody. This first passage is from Exodus 31. The person called Bezalel is the first person in the Bible who we find covered with God's Spirit, just like we are today. This is what God says. He says, see, I have called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah, and have filled him with the spirit of God. And how is that manifested? With ability and intelligence, with knowledge and all craftsmanship to devise artistic designs to work in gold, silver, and bronze, in cutting stones for setting, and in carving wood to work in every craft. I find that fascinating that when God's spirit came upon someone, it didn't represent itself in moral attributes, but in skill, in creative ability, because God is a creator. We'll see again, 1 Kings 10, we're going to look at Solomon. Solomon, who was clothed with God's spirit, and we're told was the wisest person to ever live besides Jesus. This queen of Sheba, which Sheba just means south, so we don't really know who this is, but she came to see, because she'd heard the rumors about this guy. When the queen of Sheba had seen all the wisdom of Solomon, which is the wisdom of God, the house that he had built, the food of his table, the seating of his officials, and the attendance of his servants, their clothing, his cupbearers, and his burnt offerings that he offered at the house of the Lord, there was no more breath in her. Again, I find it fascinating that she showed up to see what God is like, and she looked at the architecture, she saw the design, 
she saw the creativity and it took her breath away because it pointed so powerfully to a different kind of God. A God that breathes life into anything and everything he can. The most important thing that you and I may create in this life is probably not going to be an incredible thing that hangs on the wall or a building. But the thing that we're all responsible for, and I think is the most profound thing we do, is we each create a life. Every single one of us today who's drawing breath is creating a life and a legacy that we leave behind. Does your life point to the creator? If someone were to look at your life and lay it out, would it point to him? Are you allowing the master painter, so to speak, to paint the brush strokes on your soul? Are you bringing life, creating, into the place that you work, into your home, into your marriage? Is God breathing life into you? Some of us, that's a yes. We feel like God is right here. But some of us feel like, man, I may be going through the motions, but on the inside, I feel asleep. I feel like God is distant. I don't feel alive. I don't feel God's life flowing through me. And if so, my prayer is that you can open up and let God breathe life into you today because the creator is great at doing things that are new. He wants to do a new thing in you today. If you feel stuck, God wants to do something new in you today because God has called us to do something new through us in this world. We have such a calling. As a church, I believe we're supposed to bring life, to bring the kingdom of life into this world that's falling away. Guys like Jake Weidman are taking an art form and breathing life into it, bringing life into this world through their gift because they're doing it as a form of worship. There are companies, for example, Chick-fil-A, that um, use their business model, and I, I say that half jestingly, but I mean it. They're using their business model as a way to worship the Lord. And God has blessed a fast food chain with creativity in a way to do things in a new way, right, to bless people. And that may be a silly example, but I want you to get the picture that creativity does not just mean art. Everything in life that we experience, that we do, that we're accountable for, has the opportunity for God to breathe life into it through us. Guys, can you imagine a world with me where when people want to find the best ideas, when they want to look for wisdom, when they need to see what's coming next, that the first place they come is the church? Can you imagine that? Can you imagine if people from all backgrounds and beliefs came into our churches and maybe hesitated because of our message, but couldn't help but stand in awe when they looked around at the place that they are and they saw the way that we organize, the way that we design, the way that we give attention to detail, the way that we gather, just captivated something in them deep. I mean, what if we as a church took seriously the fact that we represent a God of wonder and awe and imagination? And that when people look at us, they're supposed to see that. They're supposed to see him in that. What if people had their breath taken away when they walked into this building? Can you imagine that? What kind of God do people see in you? What kind of God do people see in your marriage? What kind of God do people see in us? Church, my, my hope this morning was to encourage us that you are more than you realize that your identity is rooted not in what you can and can't do, but that your identity is rooted in the perfect and unchanging character of God Most High, whom you 
are a unique image bearer for. That despite the claims of the Industrial Revolution, you are not just a cog in a wheel. You are not a worker bee who needs a task. You are a creative, imaginative, artful, soulful being who is fearfully and wonderfully made. My prayer for you and for us is the truth of that, the truth of your identity and the God that you represent would set you free today into the life you were made to live because all of us have had something stolen from us, whether it's fear or pain. The scriptures tell us that where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And my hope for us today is as a church, we'd start to walk in the freedom of Jesus Christ, the freedom to take risks again, the freedom to hope again, to dream again, the freedom to walk in the fullness of what it means to be a human. Because you and I are unique image bearers of God. We are unique in creation. And if this morning you haven't started a relationship with this God who is about life, he wants to speak life over you. He wants to pull you out of what is dark and what is stolen from you and breathe life into that. And it is costly. It will cost you everything because laying down your life is the scariest thing you'll ever do. But when Jesus takes it up again, you'll never know a life as full or as meaningful as when you're walking with him. And so I'm gonna invite those of us in this room who may not have taken that step and said, Jesus, you deserve everything. I am broken and I need you. We're gonna pray together. Um, And so if you guys would bow your heads with me, if that's you, just pray this in your spirit, in your own words, whatever it is. Um, Just say, Father, um, I'm trapped. I need life. Lord, my identity has been stolen by the, by the enemy of our souls. God, I, I recognize that you alone speak life. You alone are life, and I want your life in me. And Jesus, to this, this morning in this moment, I lay my life at your feet. I give it to you. You are the king. You are the Lord. You are the creator. And I pray, would you cover me in your spirit? Would you make me new? Would you renew me from the inside out? Would you start a new creation in my heart this morning, God? Father, I need you. I thank you for what your son did for me. In Jesus' name, amen. If that was you this morning, we'll have an opportunity for you to come and pray with someone at the end of the service. They'll be at the front of the stage. Don't take, no matter where you are, anyone in this room is invited to that. Don't miss that opportunity because you're scared. For all of us this morning, May the truth of who you are be rooted in the truth of who he is. We were created to create. We were made to be makers. Let's join the spirit of God. Let the spirit of God breathe life into us this morning so that we can join him in bringing life into this world that desperately needs it. That's our call. And so let me pray for us one more time as we close, that God would start to do something new in us and in you that we could bring this kingdom of life into this world that's desperate for it. Jesus, we need your spirit. We need your power. We need your creativity. We need your life in us, God. We cannot do it without you. But Lord, we've been called to such a high purpose that without you, Lord, it's doomed to fail. God, I pray over us this morning that we would start to walk in the fullness of who you made us, Lord, that we would know deep down that we are rooted not in what we can or can't do, but we're rooted in you. We reflect you to the world, Lord, and I pray that we would walk in freedom to reflect that better, more fully every single day, starting right now. 
And I pray for, God, I pray for breakthrough for some of the people in this room who have felt too scared to break out and to take a risk in something that they feel called to, Lord. Would they be emboldened this morning to do something new, to step into a new venture, to start a business, um, to make, to, to try that, that piece of art that they've been too scared to even look at, Lord. Would you, would you deliver breakthrough to these people, Lord, whoever they are this morning who feel stuck because of fear, because of the lies of the enemy, that they can't do it, that they're not good enough. Lord, I pray, would you confirm for them this morning that you have made them for that and that they are creative because you are creative. So, Father, I pray over us this morning. Will we walk in truth and freedom because of your spirit? Thank you for who you are. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.